Welcome to the Instant Speed Podcast. This is in response, and I've got Brody Spurlock, who was recent winner of a Battle Hardened, and uh, one of the more fascinating winners or champions out there uh, for various reasons, one of which is uh, your age, and we'll get to that in just a second, Brody, but first I want to welcome you to the show and, and, and just ask, how you doing, man? It's nice to have you here. I'm doing well, yeah. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. Well, that's great. You you had the big win at the Battle Hardened in SCG Con in Dallas. And I met you, actually, um, more specifically, I met your mother first, um, your mother Charlotte. I played against your mother in a side event. She was on chain in a close match. And uh, afterwards, we were just chatting, and she mentioned, oh, you're, you know, you're, you're her son, uh, both of, of her sons, yourself and your brother Seth, I believe is your brother's name. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So yourself and your brother Seth were both at uh, at the tournament at the calling uh, that was going on in Indianapolis, and uh, she was mentioning about how you know my son's a, a pretty good card player, and you know I'm here to to support my son. And then as we were kind of following along, I was just like Brody Spurlock, Brody Spurlock. That's a name I'm gonna remember. And now here you are as the winner of the Battle Harden in SCG uh, Con in Dallas. So first, I want to say is congratulations to you. And uh, furthermore is, you know, let's talk a little bit about the deck that you played and, and, and just so you were on Viscerai, right? Yes. Okay. Now, what led you to kind of land on Viscerai? Now, in reality, I mean, let's just be real here. It's, it's one of the stronger options. It's been very popular. We've seen the, the, all the meta analysis and just the, the spike of how many Viscerai players there are. But was there any other options for you landing on Viscerai for when you won the Battle Hardened? Or was Viscerai basically your choice from the get-go? I would say a big part of it was that I had already been playing in in uh, CC for several months, and so I already kind of had that experience of just like the play patterns under my belt with that hero. And I think that I also uh, kind of recognized that he was probably the strongest deck in the field going in. So those two things combined kind of made it a no-brainer for playing Visray. I think there were like three decks that I could, if I had equal experience with every hero, that I could see myself uh like potentially having taken into that event which were viscerai oldham and kano because i think that kano has a lot of like explosive potential and is really good at just killing uh his opponent in response on their turn which uh, in blitz if he can just you know slam out 20 damage while lethal's on the table relatively consistently i think he can uh take down a lot of tournaments that way as long as he gets relatively lucky and as viscerai that was one of my um, one of the matchups I was less sure about, because I feel like even if I get a really explosive start, the fact that Kano can kill me on my turn before taking any damage is um, rather terrifying. And so, yeah, those are kind of the, the three decks that I was considering. But at the end of the day, I felt like Viscerai had a good matchup into pretty much everything except maybe Kano. And I already had experience on him. So that's why I went that route. Now, the other options you're talking about, obviously, you said just the explosivity of Kano can do. Trust me, I've been there. I've done that. I've seen it. It's it's incredible. Uh, but leaning towards Viscerai, you were also playing, uh, you're saying, were you playing Viscerai in CC as well? Yes. So when I started the game in uh, kind of really early December, right after Tark Patel had won Nationals with Briar. And so I was like, you know, this seems like a good deck. It was relatively cheap compared to some of the other options. So that's where I started was with Briar. And then after the bans, I already had all this Runeblade equipment, and Viscerai seemed pretty well-positioned in kind of like the post-Briar, pre-Everfest meta that no one really talks about. So I started playing OTK Viscerai then, and then I've been on that hero ever since. Is that your like your main now, as it were? Are you saying that you got into the game relatively late compared to most other players, you know, when you're coming in uh, right after Tales of Aria in, in December? you know you've you weren't there necessarily for the chain meta or everything prior to that the ninja meta as it were but uh, settling on viscerai is this something that you feel moving forward is kind of like your identity i know a lot of players typically don't necessarily adhere to any one particular hero but there are some that just really lock into what they love and 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 play it through and through is viscerai your guy now i would definitely say he's kind of my main he's i have the most experience and success on him by far um, so I kind of have, like, I'm partial to him in that sense. Um, I also just really like the, you know, play patterns uh, of that deck in general. I think my two favorite heroes, just kind of in a vacuum, like, um, outside of, like, metas and current formats are Viscerai and Chain. 
uh i actually like the very first time i played flesh and blood was with chain like pre-constructed blitz decks uh just like the monarch blitz decks and i really liked that hero from the get-go so um i overall like yes primarily viscerai but also just rune blades like i just right now i'm kind of just a rune blade guy in general oh you picked the right one i guess because i don't think there's ever a time where rune blade was you know not really good uh as long as as far as i'll you know as long as i've been playing the game it's been chain into briar now into viscerai uh and throughout the tournament let's talk a little bit about dallas here throughout the tournament obviously you've had several tournaments under your belt by then the big stage and just the the, the massive field of players wasn't that intimidating unless it still was did it get easier as you attended more of these big tournaments i saw you in indianapolis and then now you're then you were in SEG Con in dallas you know how many how many tournaments did you have prior like big ones that you had prior to this win in dallas and was it getting easier and easier for you as you attended more I do think that uh, having already kind of been to an SCG con, being indie, like before that one, kind of made it easier. I knew what to expect more. Um, those three, like the Calling and Battle Hardened in Indy and then the Battle Hardened in Dallas were definitely like the biggest events I'd played. Um, so, I mean, it was still kind of, you know, intimidating. There was a level of like, I understand how, um, I guess, important this event is uh, it, compared to, you know, the local armories I play every week and stuff like um and like there is more pressure to perform i guess but like i i also played uh i played magic i started playing when i was 13 and i had gone to a grand prix kind of right before covid um so i already sort of knew what that scene looked like but like to answer your question um yes having already been to indie kind of prepared me a little bit more for what it would look like and made it easier but it was still i don't know a tiny bit uh overwhelming and intimidating and you know just because it was a big tournament with a lot of people yeah I, I could say this that despite the fact that i've been to some of these bigger tournaments and you know obviously i'm i'm more so on the broadcast side that's where i i want to be but playing in those big tournaments it, it doesn't get easier even the pro quests seem intimidating to me and i can never get over that hump of those those jitters of those first matchups and even when your record gets better and better and better it still becomes like it just seems like all right well my opponent's going to get better and better and better and it's just not going to it's not going to get easier so um speaking of you know the the difficulty of your opponents as obviously as you progress through the swiss rounds the opponents became better but was there one particular matchup that was just stood out for you as being you know more challenging than the rest now this could either be because the player was really good the hero was a tough matchup for you or just in general things were not working out i think one of the scariest for me was round five in swiss um i was paired up against a rhinar and i think the rhinar viscerai matchup is is viscerai favored for sure but it also uh depends a lot on who goes first i think that both of those decks can do kind of uh ridiculous things if they get a good draw uh, on the play, Vistra could make, you know, upwards of 10 rune chance, and Rhinar can intimidate so many cards out of your hand that he can push a ton of free damage through. And so it was round five. I was uh, 3-1 at this point, um, knowing that if I lost another round at any point, I was probably out of top eight contention because I had my first loss early and uh, only so many X2s could get in. And if I lost again before round seven or eight, it was pretty much over. So I go second against this Rhinar. And on turn one, they had um, Bloodrush Bellow discarding a six. So Rhinar intimidated. I was down to three cards. And then it was like Claw Claw into Swing Big for a total of threatening 20 total damage. So I blocked with three cards and Bloodsheet Skeleta and still went down to 10. Which, so that, yeah, that, that was terrifying. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the worst part is like you mentioned, all those intimidations just means that you're, you're, you're either not blocking with the card that you might want to, or it's just a free pass, right? It's just easy street straight away, right to face, and there's nothing you can do. Uh, how did you recover from that? Obviously, eating the 10 damage and donating three cards, momentum is now in Reinar's favor. How did you bounce back? So, I, it, it was the very first turn of the game. So, I got to redraw and I got to, um, you know, put on my own pressure, but I was 10 life behind. So I, at first I was, um, you know, when I, when I got my first turn of that game, I was kind of struggling with like trying to stay in a good mindset and not like already accept defeat. Cause I was so far behind. Um, 
so that alone was kind of like the you know the psychological game I, I i was trying all day to just kind of like focus on my lines and focus on like you know make the best play here i'm playing the game because i love playing the game and then if you know i get a little bit lucky and things work out i'll move on so that was kind of the first hurdle is just um not already feeling defeated but i think i basically just kind of played as carefully as possible trying to pressure Reinar and um I think if he had had like another blood rush bellow turn there probably would have been no way that i won the game but thankfully that didn't happen i was able to do a couple like medium uh you know 11 damage being threatened turns into like one of this massive sonata turns and eventually uh get there i think the final score was very close like you know two to one or something and then i i barely won but um the biggest like uh thing that i remember being hard about that matchup was more the mental game than actually the the lines because i mean i just played out my best hand every turn and eventually was able to get tempo back but it was hard to not be um feel very defeated after that turn zero from Renner. Oh, i was gonna say i mean part of it is just how do you not feel um you know no pun intended but intimidated by the fact that you're starting the game at half of your opponent's health like they just got a free ride to crush you for that much and even if it's turn zero and you can draw back up you're already starting at a disadvantage and you may get momentum back but it's going to be an uphill battle do you have any tips or tricks or, or things that you rely on to stay poised and stay focused and not let those kinds of turns tilt you where you can remain on track because i can say i mean it took a lot of experience it took a lot of practice it took a lot of um mentorship from other people wherein when I'm playing competitively not to get discouraged when something like that happens. And a lot of people will fall into that trap and it'll then influence the rest of their, the rest of that game and perhaps future games to come when you're kind of dwelling on that. Do you have any strategies that you, you lean on to make sure that those kinds of bad scenarios don't influence future turns and future moves that you have? That's something that I'm still like really trying to work on and put effort into, and I uh, by no means claim to be like perfect at it. But it is something that even before um, entering the battle harden, I was trying to consciously like uh, be aware of and approach from a good mindset. Because when in the calling indie, I had a, a round one loss, and I think I kind of let that get to me more than I should. Um, or like, you know, more than was healthy, I, I probably let it affect my play a little bit in future rounds. Like, wow, you know, it's like I'm already, you know, starting off at a disadvantage, losing round one doesn't feel good. And if I had just kind of uh, focused on the game and not focused on like, oh, here's how I'm doing in the tournament, this probably, like, I probably can't top eight, I probably, whatever. Um, I think by like kind of letting those negative thoughts float around your brain while you're trying to play, um, it really does like mess with your ability to just focus and like find the best line so i mean it's really just anytime i'm feeling super high pressure like i need like you know if i win this game it's a pti or if i win this game it's a gold foiler like what anytime i start putting a lot of pressure on myself mentally i try to just kind of revert back to that like state of i really like playing this card game i'm playing this card game because it's fun and like yeah here's this matchup, it's interesting, here are these lines, and then just, like, really try to, like, go back into, like, focusing on the game itself and forgetting about the tournament that I'm playing, I guess. That's a, I, I mean, it's a very mature outlook, and that's something that a lot of people never are able to break away from, is is the t being able to both, you know, you, you can have fun and still play competitively, and making sure that you keep this all in focus, like, what is the mission of this? Is, is this you know, is it do or die? Like, how important is it? And you know what, that's that's part of it. And leaving behind, sometimes just sort of dropping that luggage and moving forward is is quite important. So, um, you know, that's wise words uh, from Brody Spurlock here. And uh, that final game that you played, just walk us through that. First of all, who did you play? What was that? What was that matchup? But more so, I want to know that moment where you're you're mapping out your turn and that moment where it clicks that you've got it that you've won the tournament this is a good one there there's definitely a, a key moment um so it starts off my opponent is jp coleman playing briar and first of all i was just happy to see a briar in the finals i uh i really like 
Briar Blitz deck, and I think that like post ban, it is perhaps one of the more underestimated decks in the format. So just a slight comment there. Uh, I think that it's a really fun deck. I don't think it's quite as good as Vistri, but um, it was just cool to see a Briar have done that well. And so this is like a very much an aggro race sort of Runeblade mirror. Um, I was going first, which is a big advantage. Um, if I remember correctly, the game started off kind of slow. Neither of us had fantastic hands. I think on turn one, I made like one rune chant and arsenaled and passed. Um, Briar's turn was, I think they had a hand of like all or mostly blues. They played Force of Nature and then attacked for like five or six or something with a blue uh, burgeoning, I think it was. And at that point, I had a hand of all like red uh, attack actions without go again, which is like the worst thing Vistra I can see. So I blocked two. On my turn, I spent two cards to do essentially five damage. It was a uh, Spellblade Strike or four physical, the one rune chant from last turn, and it made a new rune chant. And then pass turn back. And then after kind of a slow start in what is usually a two-turn game, we both kind of drew insane hands. Um, I had the the kind of ideal like uh, Mordred tied Viscerai hand, like, okay, as long as I get my turn back, I'm going to do really big things. And Briar started off with Red Plunder Run from Arsenal, oh. Force of Nature, yeah, <laughs> Make Embodiment of Lightning, and then Enlighten Strike for 10 go again. If it hits, I draw two cards. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> and this was That's against you. Said. And this is you're saying that this is the turning point in the finals for you. Okay, c- continue this story because this is already sounding quite turbulent. So I think this is this is one of the key moments in the tournament that I kind of looked at and was thankful that I was able to kind of keep myself in just a, I don't know, a relatively like just calm and balanced mindset. Because I think that if... I had been playing this game more scared or just just less like really calculated. I probably would have just snap blocked the E-Strike uh, with, you know, some like three cards and an equipment or something to stop the draw two. Um, because I think I could have theoretically shut down the rest of Briar. I believe when they attacked with E-Strike, they only had one card left in hand. So I felt relatively confident that if I wanted to, I could use pretty much my whole hand and all of my equipment to block out and stop the plunder run draw but i kind of ran some numbers on how likely i thought it was they could kill me if i took the e-strike and then they drew the cards and then you know presented their whole hand and i felt confident that if i took 10 unless they got the dream draw i could still have a powerful mortgage turn so i chose to take 10 go to 10 and it draws two cards and then they followed up with uh, Blue Captain's Call for plus two into Snatch. Uh, snatch for six. If it hits, I draw another two cards. Okay. So. Did they, and they still had, I, I guess, I'm, I'm assuming they were running Snapdragons? Uh, yes, they still had Snaps active. Okay. They're, like, available, yes. Um, so, at this point, they have an additional one card in hand. And I had two thoughts. One was... I'm at 10. I can't go to 4 and then battle through another 3 cards. So, like, I am going to block this Snatch. But then I was considering playing around Red Lightning Press. um, Because I think if the final card in their hand had been Red Lightning Press, it's possible I would have lost this game or been incredibly far behind. Because uh, the draw to off of Lightning Press would have been terrifying. I decided not to play around it entirely. I just blocked uh, 7 with a meet and greet from hand and then, like, 2 equipment. And... If they had lightning pressed, I would have taken two damage and they would have drawn two cards. Thankfully, that was not the card. Um, they did end up still flipping Snapdragon and pitching their last card to go two and two with the weapon. So at this point, I'm at six, Briar's at 15, and we go to my turn, where I have a Swarming Gloomvale in Arsenal. I believe my hand is Mordred Tide, another Swarming Gloomvale, and a Revel in Runeblood. All right. So, okay. This is kind of the key turn where. I first play Mordred because that's what this ride does. You just play Mordred first, then think. Um, mostly joking. But I had one rune chant already in play, and I had made zero this turn. So I decided to go ahead and pop Vexing Quill Hand to put me to four chance, and then attack with Gloomvale. And the only reason for popping Vexing was so that the Swarming Gloomvale hit effect would be active. And if my Briar opponent took any damage uh from gloomvale assuming they also took the rune chance they would be at 10 life or lower which means that revel in runeblood 
plus Rosetta Thorn would be enough arcane to kill them. So that was kind of like the critical point where I'm over here like trying to not show any facial expressions, but kind of like my heart pounding. Like I know that if this card hits, I have a guaranteed win. And it, it gets better. So Briar's at uh, 15. So he reaches for his life pad and goes down to 11, taking the four rune chance. And then he reaches for the life pad again. And I reach for mine. Like he's about to just take the four and go to seven. And then he pauses. He puts his pencil back down. And then he stares at the card for... Um, you know, like two minutes, which is just perfectly reasonable. It's a hard decision, but like I'm over here just knowing that if it hits, I win the game. So just trying to regulate my, you know, excitement and beating yeah, heart. Poker face times a thousand right there, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's kind of hard, but yeah, I, uh, I, I maintained my best poker face. And then as it turned out, I think he, he, based on how he reacted later in the turn, I definitely think he knew that if he took the damage and I had Revel, he was going to lose the game. But um, he made probably just like, you know, a reasonable, uh, like, calculated risk uh, assessment and decided to take the four, hoping that the rest of my hand would, you know, only be a Rosetta Thorn and maybe I would Arsenal or something. Right. Because um, he probably had a big turn coming back, but he did go to seven. And then as soon as I put Revel and Runeblood on the table, he conceded. Oh, and man. that was how it ended. Holy Moses. Like, it just first of all, it all comes back to the fact that you, like, you you had the the steadfast poise to just stare down that ten spot of the e strike with the two card draw chaser on it and just say, ah, sure, you know, send me the bill, like let's let's dance, and then you know, and then basically um, being presented with another awful choice to make, uh, but ultimately making the correct choices and just making sure that you kept that poise and you made sure that. You didn't like it's such a um, a psychological game at the same time where it's not just about making proper decisions, but it's not it's all also about not feeding your opponent any information that they might be able to pick up on. And um, I mean, great game. Like it's it's like you mentioned, it's a two turn game in these cases, and ultimately it could have gone either way. But you 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 made the correct decisions. You played around what you you know you should play around, or or you you know you you called the bluffs as they were, and that was awesome. So. Again, congratulations to you. And one of the major elements that, I mean, obviously, like I I've spoken to you multiple times. Um, we've corresponded through email. We've spoken um, a bunch, actually. And, and to me, it means nothing. But to some, it's, it's a factor. And I want to talk to you about your age, because in reality, you are much younger than m many of the field out there. And trust me, I need to, all I need to do is, is look at the demographics of who listens to my podcast it is heavily skewed to you know to the 30 plus range the 25 years and up the 30 plus range um not to say that you know this is a game only for older oh i say older i mean i'm 36 i consider myself young and so you are clearly much younger but for yourself was this ever a factor in terms of you know your success because obviously you you're 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 probably in school. You've got your own life that you you have to deal with. You have your own challenges. Um, was it ever an intimidating factor when you got into competitive card gaming? When when you go out there and a lot of the field are much older than you, it has affected me. Like when I was twelve or thirteen playing Star Wars cards, you know, when I was like fourteen or fifteen was when I first played in a tournament, and I was there with people that were fifteen, twenty years older than I was, and I felt intimidated. I didn't want to ask the right questions. I didn't want to, you know, um, challenge anything or concede anything to any, like, or, or you know, like, I was more inclined to just let things happen. But yourself as somebody, so you're, you're 16, I believe, or turning 16? I am 16, yeah. You're 16. So, you know, talk to us a little bit about how age factors into this in terms of how you play, because clearly you're a world-class player. That's not, that's not what's in doubt. But the challenges that you face being 16 versus those who you know, this is, this might be their entire life. I, I definitely think there's kind of a two-part answer to this. One is just, um, yes, I am in school and I have like, um, you know, responsibilities that a 16-year-old has, but also like all the adult players have a job that they go to and they have adult responsibilities. And, um, but like it does, it does kind of affect, um, I guess, like my, relationship with the game outside of actually playing it like being able to get to tournaments and like um um i 
I'm a whole number of factors, and it's it's all leading up to I could not do any of this without my mom. And I know you're going to talk to her next, but basically just a massive, enormous thank you to her for like supporting me in playing card games and trying to be competitive with it and allowing me to travel for it and all these things. Um, I uh, I'm just so endlessly appreciative of her because I as as a 16 year old, I think without her support, there's no way I'd be able to do this. And so, um. I'm enormously grateful. Um, and then the second part of the answer is kind of like within the game, um, playing against adults. I, I don't think it's not so much intimidating necessarily as kind of like you said, like, I feel like sometimes like these people are older than me, they have more life experience. And so I don't want, uh, like, I feel a level of just kind of um, uh, like, like, like respect and like, I don't want to like, question things necessarily as much or like um you know like i'm also playing this game i also like i have my own uh kind of opinions and thoughts and everything but like part of it is like me being a child it feels like um i don't know i i tend to just like defer and like respect the opinions of people who are older than me because uh they're they've got more experience and everything and so i like which is all um basically all that to say like it's just kind of it's, it's an interesting dynamic i really like talk, talking to people and you know like making friends within the flesh and blood community but then it's also like um i just like it it, it it's like a tiny bit of like huh you're all older than me i feel a little bit like um i don't know what the word is but kind of just like it's 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 it, like I, I get what you're saying. It's because mm. at the same time, you, there's certain connections that you might not be able to make. You don't have the same experiences as everyone else does. Whereas, you know, you show up to a tournament, and some people might be complaining about the fact that they had to convince their wife or their girlfriend to be able to play in a tournament, right? Whereas for yourself, it might be a different, you know, it might be a different uh, challenge that you have. So it's hard sometimes to connect with people on that similar level. And, 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 and I, you know, I can relate to that. I've been in that, in the, in that position, but I can also say that I haven't, uh, A, I was never as good as you, nor do I ever think I can be as good as you at this game. But at the same time, I didn't handle it as well as, as you clearly have. And that is, that's awesome because you're, you're not intimidated and you're backing it up, but you're also a approaching it from a perspective of, I'm going to let my gameplay do the talking you know like and and that's that's perfectly fine um you know whereas i usually rely on my big mouth to get me through things but that's kind of how it goes and and honestly brody it's been it's been awesome to watch the progression of of your career but i'm curious to know where you're you're planning on taking this you and i have spoken privately about your aspirations from more of a broadcast or a content creation perspective but talk to us a little bit about what you're hoping to achieve down the line you've got you know, you've got endless amounts of runway ahead of you, so you've got so much time to pick up steam and take off here. But that could be from a content creation perspective, but it could also be from a competitive perspective. What is Brody Spurlock looking to accomplish, you know, in, in six months, in a year, you know, in five years? Yeah, I have a lot of just kind of like goals and ideas for the future uh, in both of those fields. I want to first say just uh, what you were saying a minute ago is exactly right. Like it's I, I connect with these people through the game and everything about the game. But then like our life experience and our um, kind of lifestyles around playing the game and getting to tournaments and everything, like you said, is different. Um, and so that's kind of an interesting communication dynamic. I just wanted to agree. And you you uh, you articulated it better than I did. But yeah, as far as um, aspirations for the future, I definitely like when it comes to flesh and blood, my main goal is just to, you know, compete, see how far I can get, um, uh, play at the pro tour, play at worlds and just kind of get to learn from and play against some of the best players in the world. That's one of the most exciting things for me. And I'm just, I'm, I'm so excited for New Jersey just to kind of get to step into that field, I guess. But then as far as content creation and that, uh, whole area, I don't have super specific plans yet, but I do know at some point I would love to um, write articles and or make videos just about strategic content, deck guides, uh, metagames. I specifically love just writing in general, and I think that I would have a great time uh, just kind of expressing my ideas and 
like you know whatever knowledge i've collected about gameplay and decks in flesh and blood kind of putting that into article form and uh connecting with an audience um in some way i have not started that journey yet but that's definitely something i'm looking to in the future kind of pursue and um right now i'm just focusing on like testing and you know getting ready for the pro tour and uh seeing where things go as far as competitive tournaments and then um at some point soon i look to start um perhaps writing articles for for someone else or you know put those somewhere on the internet i haven't figured out the details yet and starting a youtube channel well my man i mean you've got um plenty of accolades already to your name the the credibility is established uh, as it were i know that's one of the things that I spoke to you, um, I think, several weeks ago when you were inquiring about how to get into this, this, this business. And what I said was it's, it's a hard sell to sell yourself to everybody. Um, you know, you could be good at a game, you could be entertaining, sure. But one of the things that people want is, is accolades. They want, they want kind of like a resume, right? And yours is already piling up. Can you just walk through some of your major flesh and blood achievements? Just imagine this is like, this could be kind of like a platform for somebody who wants to say, we want to we wanna hire Brody to write, write articles for us. I mean, when it comes down to it, what do you have under your belt already that, that people will say, like, damn, I should listen to this guy? Um, all right, I guess I can, I can walk this through it. This is your I chance. Playing... Brag, baby, this is it. <laughs> all righty. Um, I started playing in December, like I said, and then I, my first real kind of uh, step into, like, the competitive space was ProQuest season because before that I kind of started playing right as nationals were wrapping up. It was off season and I was just learning the game. And then uh, whenever they started ProQuest in 2022, I uh, I top aided five of those this season. <laughs> Jesus. Okay. Yeah. Easy. No problem. Go ahead. <laughs> um, I was playing Viscerite all of them. I uh, I believe I. Yeah, I top four. So I, in, I actually believe out of my five top eights, three of them were a loss in the semifinals to Prism specifically, which it was just kind of funny. I kept losing these games to Prism exactly in the semifinals. So it became this like curse, like don't play Prism in the semifinals. But, um, and then two of them I, I did end up getting first at. Um, so you got two, and... two pro, pro, pro quest wins under your belt. All right, yes. that's that's a good start right there. No problem, sure. And for somebody who's been playing for what, like two, three months by then. All right. Oh uh, yeah, keep going. And then I, uh, so I played at ND, as you know. I did not make day two of the calling. Um, I lost a couple Rune Blade mirrors, and uh, sadly, I, I was I was a bit disappointed. But also, like it was it was my first major tournament. I I did all right. I ended up 4-3 on day one, and then the battle hardened. I went 5-1 with a loss in round four, and unfortunately, that also did not make top eight. So Indy was a fantastic experience. I really enjoyed it. I got to meet you. I got to meet a lot of um, other great people. I uh, do not have a, a, anything fancy to post on my resume, I suppose, from that weekend, but I certainly don't regret it at all. That Trust me, just in, in general, that just... Being there and going going five one at a at the battle hardened that was uh, running alongside the calling is, I mean it's a tough go. You went five one and you got bounced. You won, you lost in round four and that wasn't good enough for a top eight. I mean it was losing the last round or you're out. That was basically it. So uh, it was tough to to swallow in that regard. But my man, y your career is already on a rocket ship here. Uh, you've been playing for four months, maybe le maybe five or so. And here you are already just piling up the pro quest wins. You're going to be on the pro tour in New Jersey. I'm going to see you in a few weeks, which is going to be awesome again. Uh, Brody, I, I, to quote uh, Sheev Palpatine, we will be following your career with great interest, my friend. Uh, so <laughs> congratulations, big time, my man. And uh, if there's anything you want to say before, because I wanted to, to speak a little bit to your, to your mother, Charlotte, as well, because I met her in Indianapolis uh, also. But before we, we say goodbye to Brody, anything else you want to, you want to slide in here? Uh, you know, as uh, I mean... You're you're a hot commodity. You're like a free agent right now. You're you're basically like the draft's coming up, baby. So this is where you kind of you, you you can you know drop some extra wisdom to to get everybody sold on Brody Spurlock. I first I just want to say that, yeah, thank you so much for having me. Um, I am interested in if uh you anyone wants to 
reach me at uh the uh, at Brody Spurlock on Twitter. I just set up Twitter the other day. Um or uh, uh for any sort of like potential article writing inquiries, something like that. I am interested in getting that started. Um, I was also going to say uh, the one other thing I didn't mention previously. I did actually uh, take home a skirmish win as well the weekend before the battle hardened. Just wanted to, yeah, didn't I? Didn't Dude, get there. Toss it I was in there. The things. When you have so many, <laughs> when you have so many wins in your belt, sometimes you just forget something. Like they fall out of your pocket. You got so many, you know. Um. Uh. But yeah, no, I think uh, I am definitely excited for the future, and I am looking forward to seeing everyone in Jersey. But yeah, just thanks for having me on, and uh. It's my pleasure. It's my pleasure, sincerely, ladies and gentlemen. Brody Spurlock, um, easily another 30 years uh, of, of Brody Spurlock dominance is what I'm calling. So that's what we're going to have here. Brody's going to be my age, and he's going to have like 18 world championships under his belt by then. But uh, good to talk to you, my man. Um, let's, get, uh, let's get your mom on, and we'll, uh, we'll wrap it up. But my dude, it was awesome to talk to you, brother. Anytime you need anything... Just shoot me an email, shoot me a DM, do whatever. I'm, I'm your guy. I'll help you out wherever I can. Yeah, I really appreciate it. No worries, dude. No worries, dude. Hi. <laughs> hey, Charlotte. It's nice to see you again. How are you doing? I'm doing great. It's good to see you too. Awesome. Well, I, listen, I appreciate you taking the time. It really does mean a lot to me because there's a lot of people who are very, um, very encouraged by Brody's success. And what I always mention whenever someone brings his name up to me is I say there's an excellent support system behind him. And I, I met, got to meet that support system. So I wanted to make sure that people were aware of just how important that support system is. So I'm, I'm so happy that you're here. Charlotte, uh, Charlotte Spurlock, Brody's mother. But more than that, um, somebody whom I got to play against in Indianapolis in one of the side events who was playing Chain, which already scared the living daylights out of me because Chain uh, is, is terrifying. But Charlotte, welcome, and thank you so much for taking the time. Honestly, this means the world to me. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So the first thing I want to um, ask about, before we get to um, your own gameplay and, and, and your own involvement in, uh, in Flesh and Blood, specifically in regards to, to Brody, I want to know how you got involved with Flesh and Blood specifically. And most people would assume that it was Brody who maybe, you know, roped you into it. But uh, that might not be the, the case. Maybe you're a card player, um, you know, by yourself here. Uh, but just maybe talk to us a little bit about how you got involved with Flesh and Blood. Okay, well, it was Brody. Um, but I, I have three boys. And so they've all played Magic the Gathering. And they tried to get me to play that. And I just it just never really um, clicked for me. But when Brody started playing Flesh and Blood, then he wanted to teach me. Um, he wanted someone to play with. And also, I was driving him to these events almost every day. Anytime he could go to an event, he wanted to go. So I just thought instead of sitting there doing nothing, I may as well play the game. But yeah, it was definitely Brody that, that pulled me in. But I just, um, when he taught me how to play the game, I really liked it. It just, it clicked for me. So I, I think it's a lot of fun. It's definitely a lot of fun. And what's amazing that, and like I mentioned, one thing that people need to understand is that uh, I, have, I have been there and, and the general demographic, the dominating dem demographic of those who play this game typically are uh, of, an, you know, uh, 25 or plus. It seems to be quite common. And in which case, when you're 25 and, and up, usually you're living on your own. You've got everything sort of set out. You've got your own means of transportation. Everything is, is fine. But I know the trials and tribulations of relying on people to get me to various different card shops and, and events and whatnot. And I owe a lot to my own mother, my father, and my sister for bringing me to these places and allowing me to explore and enjoy this. Um, so I, the first thing is, is thank you on, on behalf. I know that Brody talked you up major and, and, and gave a lot of immense amounts of credit and love to you for how you supported him through his success. But ultimately, from, from myself, uh, you know, and uh, it's important. So I'm sure I speak for a vast amount of people that, you know, people like yourself are so crucial and important to the game because you are what keeps you know, the younger generation afloat. And 
not just for driving in places because it's not just that, but your your interest in it and your support in it is immaculate. So cheers to you. Um, I'm I'm done. I'm done flattering you though. That's that's where, <laughs> that's you. that's where that ends. But I want to ask you your support for your sons, and you're mentioning you're driving your you drive Brody out sometimes, you know, multiple times a week. What's the furthest you've traveled to bring Brody to a tournament? Well, so far, I think Indianapolis was um, the the furthest I've traveled, but we are scheduled to go to New Jersey. So we live in Texas and he's trying to talk me into France. I don't, I haven't made a decision about that yet, but um, he's working on me. I'm researching. I'm not sure if we'll do that, but it's possible. We'll see how many tours I can get him to do. <laughs> I was going to say, how many, how many like lawn mowing sessions is that? Like that's... <laughs> That is quite the uh, that is quite the trek. Um, taking out the trash at let's say like you know two bucks a pop. How much is a flight? Yeah, that's that's uh, that's one hell of a a favor to ask. But I mean, Brody has clearly demonstrated not just the poise and the 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 maturity and and the drive, but also the skill set, and it's resulted in significant success. So you know, when when did you you know? Brody was talking about having this as a career. I myself do card gaming as a career from a broadcast perspective. It's it's hardly an easy or straightforward um, or lucrative career in any means. But I got support from my family when I decided to do this. I, I essentially left what was considered kind of like the quote-unquote family business to go pursue this on my own. And it was uh, met with just nothing but but positive support. Do you see that in Brody as well? Um, you know, when, when he kind of started winning tournaments or whatnot, did it click in your mind that this is something from a, a career perspective that perhaps he can pursue, uh, and pursue fruitfully? Yeah, possibly. I mean, when he asked me, I guess it was la late last year, um, if he could try to play this game professionally, I was like, oh, sure, go ahead. You know, like I was just thinking, you know, whatever, you can try anything you want, honey. And then when he actually started like winning, I was like, oh, <laughs> I might be in trouble here. But no, I mean, I think that's great. I've tried to raise my kids to follow their passions. And, um, you know, we're kind of entrepreneurish, especially Brody. I mean, he's a very, he kind of came out with a suit on and ready to go. Just he's very driven. And um, so, yeah, I can, I can see whatever he's passionate about. I can see him making a career out of it because it's just kind of what it's just kind of what he does. And that's one of the reasons that we homeschool so that we can have that flexibility. You know, we get all the basics done and then, um, you know, I kind of let them pursue their passions. And I think flesh and blood, too, like as far as him being in school, I mean, I don't think any of his subjects are as challenging as this game. So they're definitely using, you know, some serious brain power. Um, but yeah, I can see him pursuing this as a career. If he can figure out a way to do it, um, <laughs> I think that's his plan, and I will support him in that. So it's just it's it's funny to me because sometimes when I'm discussing with other people who pursue this as a a career, you know, something that they can make ends meet with, a lot of the times the factor is is like okay, travel costs and rent and bills and mortgage, et cetera, and and you know, for Brody, I don't think those are most of those are ever going to be too much of a concern <laughs> for the short term, but. Uh, you know, it's it's fascinating that you mentioned that in itself. I, I am a huge advocate for education. I think that education is something that everyone should obviously pursue. Knowledge is power. You know, open your mind, absorb as much as you can, and um, and that comes in so many different forms and facets. And for you mentioning that, you know, being involved in a game like Flesh and Blood, it does teach. Uh, you know, it's not gonna. You know, in terms of applicable skills, it's not going to teach you how to how to wield a, a romping club, you know, when you're <laughs> going to do the groceries or something. But at the same time, just the the critical analysis of things, the 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 planning, the the strategy, the the mm -hmm. mindset of that, you know, um, I think that it, it, it's a very good learning tool. And it has shown with Brody. And I can confidently say that when I met you in, in Indianapolis and you said, oh, you should meet my son, Brody. I was blown away at 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 meeting this this young man because I was like, I wish I was a quarter of of as refined and mature and you know and 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 smart as this as this gentleman was. So uh, it's it's just awesome to see that um, you know it's it comes from the support system, which is so so important. But thank you. Oh, you're you're very welcome. Um, playing change. <laughs> <laughs> this is something that I don't have 
you know, I, I don't have the, the fortitude to do because I don't have the, I, I, it's just, it's frightened me when I, when I first entered the game, it was what was most dominant and I didn't want to jump into the pool of what everyone was playing, but I recognized how strong it was, but also how skill intensive it was to, to pilot and operate you yourself. When we played, you played chain and you made life a living hell for me in that game. I, I did win the game. I was playing Starvo, so everyone's going to immediately, you know. But I, I clearly, I'm like, yeah, that's, that's Brody's mom, all right. Like, there's some, there's some significant <laughs> skill. What had you land on chain? Because it's not an easy hero to pilot. Well, when I started playing, um, the, when Brody first taught me, he, he had one of the, just like the pre-made decks, like the box that you buy at the store with a pre-made deck, and it was a chain deck. So that's how I, that's what I learned on. And then I immediately started playing Briar because that's what he was playing. And the easiest way for me to learn was just to kind of play with him and copy what he was doing. Um, but, and so when I was, um, oh yeah, so that was when Briar was kind of like, you know, um, the hot deck and then it every it, so many cards got banned um that it was no longer <laughs> so fantastic so then i think brody was kind of taking a little time to figure out what deck he was going to switch to and he was doing some research and playing different decks and the first one that he started playing after a briar was chain which is something i already knew so i'm like oh, i'll just do that i was really just kind of copying brody he quickly moved on to other things and, and landed on viscerai but um I don't know. I, I think chain is fun. And I know there are a lot of um, things that you can do with chain that are more complicated that I haven't attempted yet, like pitch stacking. Maybe I'll get to that. I don't know. But I'm not really like trying to be a professional at this game or, you know, I'm, I'm just playing for fun. And I think it's a lot of fun. So I just kind of stuck with it. Um, I never got to play chain when it was when before the cards got banned, I didn't get to play that version of Chain, so oh. that that probably would have been really fun. <laughs> oh yeah, that's like seeing Star Wars before all the special special edition <laughs> nonsense was changed to it. Like that, it's it was it was that supercharged. So um, I mean, it's still strong, but again, kudos to you for for just you know diving into a, a fairly complex hero that has a, a high skill ceiling on it, and you. You played it. Uh, you played it very adeptly, and that's uh, that's something that I can't say that I can do because uh, it's again uh, challenges like that terrify me. I'd rather talk about the cards than play those ones. There's so much going on. Um, you've mentioned also that this was something that you're doing, you know, to support Brody and 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 Brody's aspirations. But how about your own? And you're mentioning that you do enjoy this game. Obviously, you wouldn't be playing it if it, it wasn't something that you enjoy doing. But do you have your own aspirations or your your own goals surrounding the game? Um, you know, separate from Brody's. I mean, not necessarily. I mean, for me, a big part of it is just bonding with my kids. So I have three boys. One's already left the house, but I have two still at home, and we homeschool. So, I mean, if every if all the work gets done, we can sit around, you know, playing Flesh and Blood, and that's a lot of fun. And I mean, even the traveling, like we're doing, getting to do that together as a family. So for me, that's a big part of it. And then also just offering them support. But um, as far as me personally, just like, um, I would say I'm just just to have fun. I'm not if I win more than I lose, then that's fantastic. Like I'm not I don't really have any aspirations to try to win a calling. I, I think that's pretty unlikely at this point. I don't really have that much time to like study the game. Um, I just I just do enough to try to hang in there and be somewhat decent. <laughs> It's it's awesome because every every I mean as far as I know Brody doesn't necessarily have a, a team that he practices with. Am I correct? No, I, right now it's just um, he practices with me and Seth, and then we do go to local events almost every day of the week. I feel like you know five to six times a week, but um, no, he does not have a team that he's on right now. It, and the reason I bring that up is that a lot of the pro tour is just populated with players that have a support system of teams of other pros who are there to share knowledge, practice, you know, theory craft amongst each other. Uh, but there's always what we call the team mom. The team mom is the player who either hasn't qualified for a particular tournament is not necessarily gunning for a win, but they're there to make sure that the rest of the team is well 
taken care of, that all of their their needs and their worries are are as taken care of and as you know quelled as possible. I have a team mom, uh, self-proclaimed, because whenever I'm out competing and my friend is there, he'll make sure he's like, you know, do you have water? Are you good? You need a coffee? You this? You that? You taken care of? You know? Do you need? Do you need me to hold your bag? Do you need to go to the bathroom? And I'm like, all right, mom, like relax. Like it's, it's one of those things. <laughs> but here you are, and it's not just a matter of being the team mom. It's the fact that Brody, without a professional team, is out there just laying waste to the competition. And <laughs> and you yourself are part of that team. And this is that in itself is quite a fascinating accolade to have in itself. That I I practice with the battle hardened champ. I practice with the pro tour player, the two time pro pro quest champ. You know, that in itself is a feather in your cap as well. Like, you should wear that quite proudly. I do. Actually, I do. I mean, I, I wouldn't be able to play as well as I do, you know, if it wasn't Brody teaching me and, and you know, basically giving me tips after almost every game. <laughs> so. He's uh, he's he's a marvel. And I'm uh, I told him, I said, you know, this you're somebody that I can I can see 20 years down the line when I'm old and gray. I will look back and see Brody Spurlock just dominating tournaments still, you know. Um, so, again, I, I sincerely appreciate your time, Charlotte. And it was a sincere pleasure to meet you in Indianapolis. And Thanks. I will see you again in New Jersey. And I'm looking I'm I'm so looking forward to seeing you guys again. Thank you. It was really a pleasure to see you again. And we'll see you in New Jersey. Damn right. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much. For listening to the Instant Speed Podcast in response edition with Brody Spurlock and Charlotte Spurlock. We'll catch you next week on Instant Speed.